This podcast is sponsored by Radius Commercial Real Estate. For over 40 years, Steve Golis at Radius Commercial Real Estate has served the South Coast and Tri-County markets as the undisputed leader in multifamily investment sales, amassing more than $1 billion and 13,000 units sold over the last decade alone. With acumen for market analysis and connecting investors with the right properties, Steve is the go-to among local investors looking to capitalize in this unique real estate category. For unrivaled results in the sale or purchase of your residential income assets, contact Steve Golis at Radius Commercial Real Estate at www.radiusgroup.com or 805-965-5500. Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. I'm here today with Sergeant Mike McGrew, a longtime member of the Santa Barbara Police Department. He's also a man who's devoted his life to God and religion and saving people's souls. It's, I've known him for a long time in my years as, my, as a reporter, so I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here with Mike. He's had an amazing life, and he's going to talk about the challenges he's overcome, the highs, the lows, his next journey. Sergeant McGrew, how are you? I'm good. Thanks, Josh. It's an honor to be here on your show. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it, and I'm so happy that you found some time to sit down and talk. I know you're super busy. Let's uh, start right away sort of talking about the most uh, recent thing going on in your life. I know that we've talked a bit about some of the health issues that you've overcome, and it sounds like you're in a a better place today from some of the things that you were dealing with. Can you bring us up to speed on on your, on your health concerns and your health issues and, and where you're at and how we got here? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I've been uh, battling uh, colon cancer for the last five years. I was diagnosed with stage three and a half uh, cancer, and so that required a big surgery, and I had to do chemotherapy for about a year, and um, there was a lot of a lot of issues that came up with uh, with the treatments, but uh, I made it through all that. I actually uh, I was a police officer when that happened, and and so I came back to work. And uh, one of the side effects that that happened to me was that uh, I I got neuropathy on my feet and my hands because of the chemotherapy, and um, that's that's what took me out. I, I had 31 years as uh, as a police officer, and it was time to go as well. So I I. You know, I was, I was ready to go, but uh, the neuropathy was something that I, I couldn't do and, and go out and be on patrol because my balance was not as good as it used to be. So I retired, and um, uh, I went into ministry, and uh, I was ordained about a year before I, I retired. And and through that ministry, I began to, to minister to first responders and police and firefighters, and and. Uh, it was related to a, a, a program that I had set up called At Ease, and that was set up about seven years ago uh, with Michael uh, Hammer. He, he's the co-founder of the of the nine one one At Ease International. Uh, that's a that's the program that it is now. Um, but uh, to go back to the cancer battle, I um, I. I uh, had to go in for scans, and they, they scan you every three months, and then it moves up to six months. And so I was at the six-month uh, point, and um, a year ago they, they found that the cancer had come back, and it actually had hit my omentum, which is the layer that covers the vitreal organs. Mm-hmm. And um, 
so I had to go through surgery. Uh, the cancer came back again about six months later, and then they put me on chemotherapy, and um, I, I did that for most of this year. And when they scanned, when they completed that chemotherapy, they they found that the cancer had actually grown. But um, so it wasn't wasn't a good thing, and the doctors were going to uh, send me down to UCLA, and I'd have to go through some more trials and and some pretty rough chemo again. And I, I was thinking, they, well, they didn't have a they didn't have a cure for the cancer. Basically, is what what happened. And uh, so they were just kicking the can down the road, hoping that a cure would come up. I think that they do have a cure for this in mice right now, but it's not it's not available for people. So I. Uh, I ended up uh, talking to my doctor and asking if we could do surgery or another option. And he reached out and he found the right, the right radiologist, oncologist, who, uh, who looked at my case and he knew about it. He'd been following it. And um, he said, I can get this cancer. And my wife was with me, Nicole. And she said, how long till it comes back? And the doctor said, it's not going to come back. I'm going to get it, get it forever. So... Uh, that was a miracle that that happened about a month ago, and so I finished up the radiation last week, and the doctors were really happy with it. And you know, I I, I knew that through my journey, God's put a lot on my plate <laughs> mm-hmm. lately, and and I, I I was pretty sure it wasn't going to end that way or that quickly because there's there's just so many things that I'm doing right now with with the program that we started, uh, which is the 911 Ease International. You know, Mike, I've known you for a long time, and as a police officer, you were always, you know, a badass, tough guy, right? <laughs> Big guy, strong guy, kind of guy that um, obviously you didn't want to mess with, you know, whether you were breaking the law or whether you were a reporter <laughs> trying to write <laughs> stories, you know? Um, so I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about life as a as a police officer in Santa Barbara. and. Maybe a little bit about why you gravitated toward that profession, and what was it like to to spend your career here in the city? Well, I uh, I grew up here. I grew up in Goleta. I went to Dos Pueblos High School, and I wrestled um, for Coach Hart, who was an amazing man in, in my life, and um, I, I was able to get a, a wrestling scholarship up to Cal Poly. So I went to Cal Poly for four years. Uh, my first year up there, I, I got a uh, got into a, an accident. I was working on my truck, and a fan blade flew off the fan and injured my hands pretty pretty badly. So that ended my wrestling career. And not too long after I recovered, it took about a year to recover from that. Um, I you know I started looking for. Did you lose for, grip? I I you lose I did was, I I did a, a little bit. Um, it was just. I, I lost a lot of grip at the start. One finger basically almost came all the way off and went through my thumb, and it was, it was just you know I wasn't able to wrestle just because I was recovering from all the surgeries that I had to go through. So um, once I did start to uh, recover, I'd you know I'd already been uh, a few years into college, and and uh, so I was I was working I was working in the trades, working construction and. Then I started working for a painting contractor, but I uh, I was getting getting into a point in my life where I wanted to have some stability and and um, you know just have a job where uh, you could work when it rained and um, and and you knew that the paycheck was going to be there. My father was a firefighter. His father was a firefighter. Uh, his brother, my uncle, was a firefighter, and um, so we had a long line of 
public safety people in, in our family. I had one uncle, great uncle, that was a LAPD. So he was only cop, but everybody else was uh, firefighters. So I started looking at the fire, uh, fire service, and then I ended up, um, one of the firefighters said, hey, do you ever think about being a cop? And I was like, no, I, I've never thought about that. <laughs> and then six months later, I was in the academy. So um, I'm, I was just super grateful for this job. It, it's been an amazing job. It, it, it was a fit for me. And, and uh, 35 years ago when you came on the job, it, it was exciting. It was, you know, you're, you're young, you're, you're ready to go. But, but the culture uh, for law enforcement and all first responders basically was um, you're getting a paycheck. You know, it's a tough job, and so just suck it up. You're going to see some bad stuff, but you're just going to have to suck it up. And there were a lot of Vietnam veterans who were, who I feel like they, they paid the price in post-traumatic stress that, that were the senior officers at that time. So so the culture was just set up to to just go out and deal with it and, and tough tough it out. Um, and and that's okay until you get to the place where, where you really can't. It's been about 20 years uh, um and, and I worked, half of my career was uh, patrol, the other half was major crimes, so I did all the robberies, homicides, and sex crimes, child abuse cases, and the worst of the worst of. And um, those crimes are, they're, they're things that, um, that you take home with you. There's, it, it takes a piece of your heart, you know, to deal with some of these very sad situations, and, and they're, there are things that you don't want to bring home that, you know, you can't talk to your spouse about it. can't talk to your family about it because, um, because it was that bad. There were, there were days that I did that job and, and I, and I knew that I was doing it because I did not want anybody else in the world to have to be doing what I was doing at that, you know, very moment. And, um, and so those things start to layer on you and, and the, the trauma and, and, the and the stress, um, it, it's, it just comes on in layers, and so you don't even realize that it's affecting you until all of a sudden you can't walk. And for me, uh, uh, one of the big turning points was my youngest son. He was uh, uh, Michael uh, Thomas. We called him TT. He was diagnosed with bone cancer. And he lost his, uh, they had to amputate his leg, and, and we were in uh, chemo for about um, 200 days a year, you know, in the hospital with them. And he almost died about a half a dozen times from the, just the effects of the chemo. But um, when, when he was diagnosed, a, a lot of folks would talk to me about, um, about God. And I was in a place where I was angry and I said, if there's a God, then why, why does my 12-year-old son have cancer? Why, why is he missing his leg? Why are we going through all this? And, and so I didn't receive that too well, but I just um, kept moving along. And, and then my, my older son, about the same time, uh, got involved in drugs, and he got a really bad drug, drug addiction. So I started to fight more than one front, you know, and... Um, and first responders and, and the the people that I work with, all the cops that I work with, they're they're good in the fight. Things are, you know, that's what you're designed to do. But um, it's the fight after the fight that that happens. And so I was, you know, being that strength for my family. I was, you know, there for my son. I was, you know, there, but there was an awful lot that was coming my way. And um, uh, I'd lost a marriage earlier on in my career, and and 
at this uh, at this one point, I, I lost my second marriage, and um, you know, I, I really was in a bad place, and uh, and I didn't have any any place to look up. So I met my wife Nicole, and she uh, our first date. She took us. She took me to a um, Chris Tomlin concert, which is a worship band, and it was over at the Santa Barbara County Bowl. And I had no idea what I was getting into, but as I sat in the in the bowl there, a pastor came out. His name was Louis Giglio, and he traveled with the band. And he came out and he gave a sermon, but he gave a message that was um, it was super powerful. And then he started to speak to the crowd, and he says, "Is there, is there anybody out there who?" And he he just went down my checklist, you know, who felt like everything was out of control, who who just had the weight of the world on them, who needed a place to lay the, their burdens down. And, and he just went on and on and on. And, and, and that man went through everything I was feeling at that point in my life. And it just hit to me. It just hit me so supernaturally. I, I looked around the crowd, and I, I, I was thinking, how, do, how does this guy know my story? And so the next day... Uh, I went and I talked to my cousin, Dan McGrew, and he retired. He just recently retired as a lieutenant at the Santa Barbara Police Department. And he was raised um, he, in a Christian home, and, and he was raised to be a believer. And so I asked him if there was a, you know, I, I sat down and asked, I, I said, hey, Danny, can you tell me about Jesus? And he says, yeah, I've been waiting for this day. So um, it was at that point that I gave my life to Christ, and and um, and a transformation started to happen uh, in my life, and and uh, I I just prayed more and more every single day for more faith because there were things that I didn't understand, you know, and, and there's things I still don't understand, but but uh, but there, were, you know, my prayer was just to to have a closer relationship with God and. And just to have more faith in the areas that I felt like I wasn't, and um, and and it just a transformation happened. I finally had a place where I could put these burdens down, uh, just the burdens that I carried as a as a cop, the burdens that I carried as a father of you know a child who was um, terminally ill, and another child fighting a drug addiction, and and just situations that I couldn't control because I was used to controlling things. I was used to being that person that would go out and solve everybody else's problems but you know inside I was I was unwinding and now I had a place to lay these burdens down and, and to find peace and after I did that I um, I first started with selfish prayers <laughs> you know God fix this help me with that do this and and then there was a shift that happened when I realized that it really wasn't about me. It was about service and, and, and serving him and serving the kingdom. And so that, that was a powerful shift. I, um, I began to realize that even as a cop, that the calls I was going on, uh, God put me there, not just for the 911 call, but I had a testimony. I, I had a special place that I could help these people and and I also had a lot of empathy I mean through my through my uh, growth and my journey you know through the police department I and and just my own experiences with my own children I was able to speak into the lives of others just just by giving my testimony alone and um, then my son died my youngest son um, Michael um, TT died uh, he was 18 years old and 
the cancer had come back three times. And um, when he turned 18, I, I told him that. I said, hey, buddy, Ed, you know, you're a man now. And I've been making the calls, but if the cancer comes back, you know, it's your, it's your call whether you want to go through chemo or not. And about six months later, um, I, he ended up um, uh, committing suicide. That's what happened. He, he took all of his pills and wrote a note. And in the note, he, he said, I, I love you all, but there's just something inside me I, I can't explain. And um, I, I ended up keeping that note. I'm not sure why I did, but, but that would later on in my journey, it, it would mean a lot, um, those words that he spoke to me. So I went back to work after a month. I took about a month off. I went back to work, and um, I told God, I said, you know, I, I don't want to go to any more dead children calls. I don't want to tell any family members that they lost a loved one. I said, God, just, just, you know, just don't let me go to those. Mm-hmm. And those were all the calls that I got, one after another, and it would be people who lost, you know, a family member or a child and somebody mostly it was children they, they had lost a child to drug overdoses or to whatever it might be and I realized that um, that God was using me in a special way for them because here I was I was standing on their doorstep and you know my heart was broken wide open but they could see right into it and they knew that I understand I understood what they were going through, and they would just ask me, you know, how how are you even standing? And all I could do is just point to point to the Lord and say, because of God, because God gave me the strength to to make it through something that was the hardest hit I've ever taken to lose a child, and He gave me the strength to 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 get through that. And when I look back on that whole process, um, that whole journey. God was super, super gentle with me. He prepared me in plays in ways that I had no under, uh, idea He was preparing me for. But, but I can just see how He just He had every detail taken care of. And uh, <clears throat> I continued to go out and and uh, and and just serve in, in just a completely different way. You know, I I think every, my journey and just the faith just gave me more empathy for people. It was a it's a more humane way to, to be out there serving in, in, in a special way because I was serving God. I was working for, for the Lord, basically. That didn't mean that I was out, you know, Bible thumping on people's doorsteps, but it did mean that um, when the opportunities came up for me to share my testimony, I would. And, and, and usually um, a lot of people that had gone through the same thing that I had gone through. I, I was I was there for them for some reason. I was a motor cop, and I, one example, I, I uh, a lady, um, I pulled her over. She did this really funky U-turn in front of me on State Street, and I pulled her over, and, uh, and she started crying. And I looked at her, and I said, this isn't about the ticket. You know, what's going on? And she said, uh, you know, I'm just coming back from the doctor's office right now and, and he told me that I have cancer and so I started to talk to her a little bit about that journey and um, you know I, I asked her if she had a faith and, and she said yeah I, I knew God but I'd walked I walked away 
And I said, well, um, can I pray for you? And so she said, yeah. And I, so I kneeled down next to her and held her hand as she's sitting in her car. And, and, um, and I prayed, and God gave me the words for that prayer. And it was something that just touched her in a, in a big way. And I looked at her, and I said, you know, if, <laughs> if you don't think God is, isn't with you, then you might want to ask yourself why you're praying with a motor cop at the side of the road right now. And she <laughs> said, yeah. She said, yeah, I, I, I know. So there was just a lot of opportunities to do that. And as I, um, as I started to get towards the end of my career, I, I was thinking about and really praying about, you know, how to help the the people that I worked with. You know, these uh, for 31 years I worked with people of courage and character who just did amazing things, you know, every day. And that's not something that we always see on the mainstream media today, but 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 it's out there and it's and it's happening all the time. But there are also people that um, were in that that uh, culture of just being tough and sucking it up and. And um, and the fallout of that is that our industry has a very high suicide rate, higher than anybody else. Um, we have a very high divorce rate and um, alcoholism. Um, you know, I I've lost a, a couple friends to to suicide, um, and then I've lost a, a few friends to uh, that just drank themselves to death as well. And you know, and that was that was the fallout of not dealing with the the trauma that um, that they were exposed to, you know, daily, for for a long period of time. So um, God put this program that the Addies on my heart. I was on the Santa Barbara Police Foundation. I was on that board. To uh, we were raising money for equipment and then catastrophic um, incidents that that may happen to families and and the department came around our family when TT was diagnosed with cancer um, it was amazing the support that I got from the from the uh, uh, police department and the fire department and they um, uh, they didn't know what to do at first <laughs> but then they decided that they were going to have a uh, uh, for our family, they were going to raise money to help us with co-pays and travel down to UCLA. We had to do a lot of that. And uh, so they were they wanted to have a barbecue over at uh, Earl Warren Showgrounds. So they set that up, and they were going to sell um, chicken lunches for 7 bucks. And uh, all the agencies from around here and Ventura County, Santa Barbara and Ventura County were there and they were serving folks and 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 10,000 people from the community showed up 10,000 people from Santa Barbara showed up to support our family and it was just really amazing you can't say thank you enough you can't um you just there's no words for that but what that what happens when you help somebody in that way is is that you create a synergy and that that drive to to pay it forward and and so that's why I was on the police foundation and I wasn't the last to have to deal with that uh, situation, and and um, so we helped a lot of folks. But I, th I thought, well, maybe we can raise money to um, to help uh, first responders with with uh, post traumatic stress counseling. And there were a lot of barriers that uh, were out there, and uh, reasons why. Uh, 
the first responder industry didn't get help for uh, really an injury. It's it's post trauma, you know, trauma is an injury to to somebody's brain. And uh, the systems that were set up, there was employee assistance programs, and and there's good ones, um, but uh, there's a perception, whether it's real or not, that uh, reaching out to an EAP program, employee assistance program, that there's going to be, um, you know, it's, your boss is going to find out, or or sometimes you have to go through your boss to to go to the EAP program, and and uh, for a cop, that's that's uh that's not good because you you could say hey boss you know uh, taking that dead child out of mom's arms yesterday really messed me up and i use that example because it happened to me more than once but um you know the if you reached out to your boss you, you could easily be subject for a fitness for duty hearing where they take your badge and your gun and and tell you you know we'll, we'll see see if you can handle this job maybe maybe you're not cut out for it and so, um, so that prevented uh, first responders from getting help. The insurance uh, was there, but there's a, a, a bureaucracy that's behind all insurance uh, <laughs> companies, and, and the, the help doesn't come um, very easily, I think, at times. Uh, that's, that was my experience with it. And then you can also get the, uh, the therapists that are not set up to deal with first responders. And when I, when I, uh, after my son died, I, I did reach out and uh, talked to a therapist and I unloaded my grief, but I unloaded about 20 years of um, police work too. And, and the therapist just broke down. Really? She, yeah, she wasn't, she wasn't ready for that. And um, eventually I did find the right therapist, um, wonderful lady. But, uh, you know, not everybody's, they're, they're not, culturally competent so I, I thought well let's get you know let's get some folks that can actually address the issues and understand what first responders see because most people um, you know the first responders are doing a, a job that most people wouldn't understand um, and, and and it's just way over most people's heads just the things that we have to experience so um, so through the program what we did is, is um, we came up with the at ease program and uh, we raise money through the community, and we have a helpline that was through the nonprofit, where a first responder could reach out and call that number, and then we would get them in the office of a of a therapist who understood the the issues that first responders deal with, and we also serve their families too because you can't just um, there's a secondary trauma that comes upon the families, you know, when when you have somebody in your house that in your home that. Um, that's dealing with this, you know, they're, they're, the fallout's not, it's not cool. So, uh, so, so we, uh, we came up with just a group of really amazing therapists and a lot of them were able to deal with, you know, drug and alcohol counseling. Some were there to deal with child issues. Um, most of them were trauma trained. And so they're able to walk the first responders through the stuff that they struggle with. And, and, uh, People started using the program. We started at the Santa Barbara Police Department. From there, um, it became successful, and you had senior officers that were talking about the benefits of going and, and getting checked out, and you know, just reaching out uh, after experiencing a traumatic incident or or or, or just the accumulation of, of trauma that that somebody might be dealing with. 
and um, more and more people started to use it. The program became trusted. That was a really big part of it, that, um, that people trusted it and trusted the confidentiality in it, and, uh, and it grew. And then the fire department went it in, and our motto was, sure, we're going to help you. So um, we brought the, the firefighters in, and then we brought in, um, the next thing I knew, we had some other agencies that had had some pretty traumatic incidents, uh, officers involved in the shootings and, and different things like that, and, and we were able to reach out and help, and help folks what in a pretty, pretty powerful way. And, and then before you knew it, the whole program grew uh, throughout the Central Coast. So we, we served from San Luis Obispo down to Ventura County. And uh, we served uh, law enforcement, paramedics, uh, emergency room, uh, doctors, nurses, and technicians. Um, and then the district attorney's office as well. And it's just, it's been amazing. And, and it's, um, you know, before the... It's been pretty interesting how God uses this program. It's a secular program, so the people that are getting counseling are getting secular counseling. I have a ministry that goes alongside this, so if anybody wants to have some spiritual counseling, they can. They can, you know, we have different avenues for that. Yeah. But um, uh, you know, about a month before the Thomas fire hit. Um, and went out and rolled this program out to the Montecito Fire Department. And uh, then the fire hit, and then the debris flow. And that debris flow was, uh, you know, it, that was that was really hard on all the first responders that were out there and saving people, but also doing recovery, uh, body recoveries. And just, it was, it was, it was a tough deal. And uh, Chief Hickman was the chief at that time, and, and he said that um, normally you would lose 10% of your workforce. Or that's, that's, the, that's the number. 10% would leave within the first year of a disaster like that. And because we were able to help out that department and all the departments that responded to it, no, uh, they didn't lose one person. And, you know, people have been using this program and so it's really it's it's pretty neat because it's it's keeping uh the first responders strong but also the department strong and also and that just that just um that just helps the community um in in a really powerful way so today's podcast is brought to you by goodwin and tyne properties they've been in business for more than 16 years in santa barbara Goodwin and Tyne offers full-service real estate brokerage with attorney-trained realtors who work together as a team to deliver their clients the most professional concierge service available. You can reach Goodwin and Tyne Properties today at 805-899-1100 or at www.gtprop.com. That's www.gtprop.com. Let me ask you a question. Sure. Um, you know, 2020, obviously, law enforcement has been under a lot of scrutiny nationwide for the George Floyd incident and mm -hmm. some other high-profile events. And, and I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how the, the backlash against law enforcement in 2020 affects you or how you think about that as somebody who's whose mind is in an entirely different space trying to deal with helping 
others overcome the trauma that they experience. Um, what goes through your head when you think about everything that happened in 2020? Well, it was it was a rough year for everybody, um, but it, it it brought another layer of um, stress and trauma upon the first responders that are out there. Uh, the you know it started with the pandemic, and um, that now now you were faced with something where first responders are going out, they're serving. It's one thing to put your yourself in harm's way, but it's another to know that you could be putting your whole family in harm's way and uh, going out to calls that um, you know you, you have to go to and, and, and you have to help people and you have to be face-to-face with people and there's times when you're not going to have all the protective gear that you need on, on uh, that you're wearing because things happen very quickly. But uh, there, there was just this layer of stress that, um, that came upon the first responders because of the pandemic and then people uh, were asking me they were saying well how <laughs> well you know what, what do you think is going to happen next and and I could just feel that uh, that there was going to be some civil unrest I mean they, they've had riots just because of uh, long-term um, you know heat waves and uh, low economies or whatever it might be and and then all these things start to work together and before you know it there'll be an incident that sparks that civil unrest. And then the George Floyd incident happened, and um, that was just a horrible incident to have to sit there and watch and and for people to even see somebody die. You know, I, I think that that really affected a lot of people. A lot of people don't see somebody die, especially um, when the law enforcement is, is there and, and present. And, uh, you know, our job is about public trust and that's what that badge meant to me it still does you know that that we have to have that trust to the public and every once once in a while you'll have isolated incidents where um, things go bad and um, unfortunately in this case you know that's what started uh, just sparked a whole lot um, of anger the division just all kinds of, kinds of things came out of that incident and it, and it came nationwide, and, and so, uh, you know, there was, I think, some more distrust. I, I think a lot of the the coverage that you see following it, you know, with the mainstream media, uh, they'd cover incidents where um, police had to use force, and, and some of them, they're, they're justified, but force never looks good. It just, it never looks good to use force on somebody on camera, but you have to, uh, you have to be there, you have to know the mindset of what's happening at that time, and 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 what's really happening? Um, I, I know there was one incident I was watching where the uh, the uh, suspect was fighting with the cops and then ends up get getting to his car and then um, and then the officers have to shoot him. And and I thought it, you know I wasn't there I can't tell you whether it was justified or not but I thought about an incident that was real similar that I had to go through and it was the same incident and. Um, uh, the guy ended up, he was in his car, I was trying to get him out, he got a knife, and the only reason I didn't shoot him was because I was fighting so hard uh, to keep the guy from stabbing me that uh, I couldn't get to my gun, and I was able to, so, you know, you, and, but but it would have looked the same, <laughs> would have, uh, the same ex- exact 
scenario happen. So people, uh, but they don't understand that. They don't have the training. They, they, they've never been through that. It's not like the movies where you can shoot somebody in the hand and, you know, their gun flies out of it. It's, you know, there's a lot that, that, that goes on. And, and the, the media needs to, um, I think at times, not come to a conclusion. <laughs> and that's what's happened in, in some of these cases where they, they present it where, um, Know, they, they want to make the officers look like they're at fault for something that maybe they're they're completely justified in doing. Uh, the George Floyd thing, I don't, I don't think that that's something that's defensible just by me looking at it. But um, but uh, but they have a process, and you know they're going to have a trial, and you know and that's the nice thing about America; it's for justice for all, and that includes the the, the officers as well. Um, the uh, that the program that I've been working on is, you know, people talk about police reform and um, what we're doing with 911 Addies International. The, there's there's a component of that 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 is police reform because we're we're fixing something that's been broken the last 35 years. I've been involved in law enforcement and. Um, we're, we're giving these officers and first responders a, a place to to deal with the traumas that's on them, and 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 when these people have to make split uh, second decisions, they're out there and they're serving, and and they're able to manage their stress, they're able to to deal with the the things that are coming their way. Uh, that really just benefits the. the the cities that they serve and, and the departments that they serve. So, uh, you know, we, we've been a part of that. It's been a neat platform to speak about, you know, whether pe people are anti-police or pro-police. Uh, you know, I think everybody understands that behavioral health is, is really an important thing, no matter who you are, but especially for, for our first responders. So we, uh, um, we began uh, this last year because the program became so successful on on the Central Coast, we, we served over 600 first responders last year alone, and, and the number was the same mm -hmm. the year before. And um, we started to branch out. Well, uh, before I knew it, we're, we are in Minneapolis. So I've been out in Minneapolis um, talking to the police, talking to the firefighters, and all the first responders that are out there. And, uh, and we brought this program out into that area. And it's, you know, uh, it's for such a time as this. You know, I, I think God knew, you know, I mean, well, he's been there before we have, but he, he's been using this program uh, in a really amazing way. And, and, and that's a worldwide stage in Minneapolis now. And, and, and um, you know, I, I, I think we can be part of that healing that happens because that's what needs to happen. There's just been so much division and, People have been hurt that uh, we just need to come back and find that that neutral ground where we can love on each other and and um, and have conversations and um, and and just just bring just bring uh, something important to the table and you know you know for me I I look at things in a spiritual way but I I feel like this program people see. Although it, it's not a faith-based program, but I think people see the the face of Christ in it because it's it's come out of prayer and and people can see the the healing and the love and 
the generosity and just all the wonderful things that are there and, and they're attracted to it. So it's, it's been a, it's been an amazing thing to be a part of. When you were a young cop on the force, what was your attitude toward, toward religion and God? Were you an atheist? Were you agnostic? Did you think about it? Uh, talk to me a little bit about how you would have responded if somebody came to you and said, Hey, you need to, you know, bring God or Jesus into your life. What was your attitude like back then? Uh, I wouldn't have received it. I mean, people did. People were praying for me. And in, and in my career, you know, I'd, I lost two marriages and I was, you know, I, I had to deal with drinking. I had to deal with, you know, a lot of just chasing the wind kind of things that, um, you're trying to you're trying to fill that void, and uh, when people would bring God up, that was not something I wanted to hear. You know, I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't. Um, I thought that I I was strong, and I could handle everything myself. And it and it turned out that wasn't the truth. Um, I wasn't able to handle everything by myself. And and uh, you know when I when I um, became a believer, uh, you know I've never really approach anybody and told them you know hey you should or you need to or you know it's we can have a to-do list very easily for somebody else and and uh but one thing that people listen to is um you know what this is what i did in this situation and 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 that's a neat way to speak you know when you when you speak from my statements because you're not forcing anything on anybody but you're offering up your own experiences and and um, and things that you know worked and things that didn't work and and people listen to that and they can take what they want and, and move on but I, I found that that's probably the most powerful way to to, uh, to minister to people is is um, is to be there one be there for them for them in their in their difficult times but but you know share share your testimony we all have a testimony all of our testimonies are powerful and and our journeys are are amazing and. And, and God uses them in a big way. So it, you know, when I was a younger cop, I thought I I thought I was all that in a chicken sandwich. You know, I I, <laughs> I had to I had you know I, I did pretty well. I I had a rough beat. Santa Barbara was a little rougher back then when we started, and um, the laws were different. But um, but uh, I would, you know I rose through the ranks pretty quickly, and and I was um, you know I, I attributed a lot of that to my own. Hard work, and we do have to work hard. It's not like you don't have to work hard once you become a believer, but but I also know I got a lot of grace, and there was always something. Um, there was something that always struck me uh, when I was out dealing with just horrible situations, or dealing with homicides, or uh, seeing the worst thing that you could imagine. And you know, the what I noticed is that no matter how bad a situation was. It would always get followed up with something very powerful and very uplifting, and that could be the community coming around a family or coming together after a disaster, or it could be um, a sexual assault survivor standing up and facing her um, the perpetrator in the courtroom and just having that strength. Or um, it, it, there was just it was there. It was always there. I didn't know what it was, but it was the thing that kept me coming back because you just wouldn't you wouldn't do that job unless you saw some good every once in a while and and when I became the major crimes 
um, supervisor, I, it was really important for me to point that out to the people that I worked with, the detectives that were doing this um, difficult job. And uh, I said, you know, look for it. It's there. And um, later on, I, I, I knew what that was. It was God's grace. It was just God's presence in, in that situation and, and just how he works all things together, you know, for, for the good, for the good of now, us. You know, you went to that Chris Tomlin concert with your your future wife, right? And now, you didn't wake up the next day and all of a sudden you were perfect, right? Um, obviously, you're not per- no one's perfect, yeah. but, but you didn't wake up that next day and you had all the answers. Can you talk a little bit about, like, you know, after you have that that moment where all of a sudden you start to feel different or look at the world differently... Can you talk about what that's like in terms of sustaining that? Did you have lots of, of uh, you know, spiritual challenges right after that to throw you off course? Uh, were you set from the moment you, you know you yeah. you went to the concert? What what was the aftermath of that in terms of that journey? Well, it, it was uh, I describe it. It's in the Bible. It's the it's the faith that's the size of a size of a mustard seed and. And, and that's what happened. I didn't understand everything. I didn't necessarily believe everything. I didn't, but it, it was it was growth. And I knew that there was something more. I mean, when the Holy Spirit hit me, it there was a shift to happen and I couldn't deny it. You know, I knew, whoa, this is, this is something I've never experienced before. Um, but it didn't mean all my problems went away. I still had to deal with the issues that, you know, a lot of messes I made myself. And and that's why I said, you know, a lot of my prayers at the start were just, they were selfish prayers. They were like, God, help me fix this or do, do this. And and um, and as I just prayed for more faith, and I still do. I, I do every single day when I pray. I, I, I ask the Lord for more faith. It's a spiritual gift. It's something that we can't really come up with ourselves, but um, but it's something that God will give to us when we ask for it. And um, it it just became, you know, you start to see with spiritual eyes, you see more and more, you start to realize that, hey, things aren't a coincidence. Hey, you know, when you're thinking about somebody and you reach out and you give them a, a phone call and, and all of a sudden they were in a tough place in their life, it, it's not just a coincidence. Like that's something that God puts on your heart, whether you're a believer or not. He moves the hearts of, of everybody. But... Um, but you start to recognize all those things, and uh, I, I just, I just was struck by the peace that I started to get, and and just having a place and having a God that that loved me, and um, and and a guy, a God that died for me, you know, died for my for my sins, but also my traumas, and and then I still had sin in my life too, and those were things that. Um, that I had to start praying about and saying, "Hey, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to drink anymore." You know, I and, and I was able to set that down. That was probably the biggest, you know, for me, the biggest um, shift um, in dealing with alcohol was the fact that I, you know, the, the, in the AA they talk about the higher power, but um, for me, just having Jesus as my higher power was that was it, and. And I really didn't have to go to meetings or anything else. I I went to. I'd go. Uh, I take that back. I did go to some meetings because um, uh, I went through with my son uh, through the uh, 
um, some, through some programs, but so that did help me. And I was a, you know, I kind of went through as a codependent at the start, but didn't realize, you know, I got to quit this drink and stuff. And, and I was able to set that down and, and it was, um, it was a big deal for me, but were you, were you a, uh, beer drinker or hard liquor were you uh, yeah I, I would drink you know I, I i never got in trouble or didn't you know but um but i would drink uh uh hard liquor you know I, I would drink that and that was my place to go to deal with stuff you know so when you're when you have all these things and you don't have a place to deal with stuff <laughs> you try you try to find that that place you know and so so really, you're just checking out, you know, and that's and that's really that was a big, for me that was, that was my bottom when I had to take my son uh, to a rehab because I thought, wow, you know what, I was teaching him to check out and to you know how to deal with stuff by not dealing with stuff and and uh, you know so that was that was another big part of, of my own sobriety. It's a just, lot easier to to see the things that you do wrong when you see other people do them than it is when it's just you. Because we tend to care more about other people than we do ourselves, right? So in that case, if you see your son dealing with something, you're way more likely to make the change because you, you, you love that person. If it's just you, people can make lots of rationalizations about how, Oh, we'll be okay. We don't, we don't need that. So, you know, that's, that's sort of, um, Sometimes it takes that that impact around you to see yourself. Yeah, and that's what it took for me. You know, you're you're right on point there. What um what was the reaction from your law enforcement buddies when you started to make the the move towards spirituality? Did were they accepting? Were they skeptical? How did they respond to you? Well, I think you know it's the walk. You know, you just got to speak with your walk. And and as I w- was walking in that. They saw the change. They they saw there was a new there was a new man that started to emerge amongst them. You know, somebody who's more loving and caring, and not trying to be the tough guy, and not trying to you know control everything, and and just being more receptive, um, and and having more uh, empathy, and and I think people really you know, and, and this and caring about them. I always did. I always cared about them. I was you know as, as you well know, I was a president of the police officers association for a lot of years i was either for 28 years i was on the either the board or, or the president so i led that and, I, and the reason i did that was because i really i really cared about the people i worked with but um uh but it it, it was something that you know later on i i uh, things shifted <laughs> i wasn't always the same <laughs> same guy pounding on the table you know i i realized that that wasn't you know, to speak out of anger, or to 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 act the way that I was acting, that you know wasn't wasn't godly. So I I just wanted to align myself with with uh, with God and, and the Holy Spirit and just um, and Jesus and and just just speak um, out of love and and you know you, you get a lot further <laughs> along with people when you do that and and uh, you know it's. And everybody around me saw that. So there were people who watched my walk, and they did come to the Lord. They'd come and talk to me, and they'd say, hey, you know what's going on? I think um, a big part was when my son died. Um, you know, when he when he, um, when he died, he um, I was working. I was actually at work. And um, 
the watch commander was trying to get a hold of me, and I was getting all these weird cryptic phone calls, and I was going, what's going on, you know? So I, I went into the to the watch commander's office, and and he wasn't there, but there was a, an officer that that was, and and I asked I asked him, I said, hey, where's the watch commander? And he said, well, he, he's on a dead 18-year-old over at um, this address on Garden Street, and that's where my son was living with his, with his mom. So that's how I found out. But I, when I got there, there was a there was a sea of blue, you know, and nobody said a word because there isn't a word that you can say, you know. What what do you say? And I walked in and you know saw my son lying there. But um, but God, you know, brought the exact right people around me, and um, and He gave me some supernatural signs that um, that my son was was in heaven. So I knew that, and. Um, I, th I think a lot of the cops watched my walk very closely after that, and just to see, you know, what was going to happen, and you know what, where I would go, you know, if I'd go back to the bottle, or if I would, you know, what was going to happen after that, and and what they saw was um, was just how God was carrying me through that and giving me strength. I gave my son eulogy, you know, which is like impossible to do unless unless you have that. Um, the strength, you know, that I could only get from God. I mean, for me, it would have been impossible to do, but, but God gave me the strength to do that. So, so I think, um, you know, it, it impacted a lot of folks that were around me, and I've and I've had people who walk up to me and they want to, you know, they they want to have that conversation I had with my cousin that night, you know, and I'm happy to share it with them. Yeah, that's it's just an incredible story, inspirational story, story of redemption for sure. What is your life like right now? You're you're retired from the police department. You're obviously very active with uh, 9/11, Addies International. Uh, what do you travel a lot? Um, what is your what is I your do. life like? Yeah, yeah. I've been traveling a lot. I've been going. You know, we're in we're up in Minneapolis. Uh, we're starting a program down at the Navajo Nation down in New Mexico. Uh, we have a chapter, and what we do is we, we're taking what, what's worked here, this program here in, in Santa Barbara and the Central Coast, and we're bringing it to these different places across the country that that um, that want the program there. So we're Navajo Nation, Idaho, um, Mississippi, um, Alabama. Um, there's uh, some talks in, uh, in Tennessee as well, and, and, and there's just a lot of interest that's starting to happen. And so as I go out to those different places, it, it's um, it's important, I think, to meet face-to-face -face in, in, in some of the instance, uh, instances, but uh, most of the time I'm able to do it off of Zoom, you know, so that's the one thing that the pandemic did do was allow me to be able to, um, to basically run a, a, an outfit that's nationwide and, and do it from here at, at home. I uh, ended up... I. Um, adopted um, my uh, granddaughter when she was about two. We've had her since she was two, so I so I have a nine year old that I'm raising. So, so that's that's been a big deal. Uh, but it's so, been so it's been let awesome. Me ask, let me ask you about that. Uh, sure. So, to some degree, I mean, are you getting a, another chance at, at parenting here? Are you looking at it that oh, way? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's like a, it's a do over, you know. <laughs> And and somebody says you know you don't look at things as as a mistake. It was a cop that I was talking to, and and, uh, and he said you know 
uh, don't look at things as a as a mistake. Look at them as experiences, you know, because it's something that that helps to change you for the better. And um, you know, the one thing that happens when when a person becomes a believer is is that there are spiritual battles. You know, God's very real and Satan's very real, and so Satan wants to to drag you down and say, hey, you know what, you're not worthy, you're not, you know, you did this back then, you know, who, why do you, what, what gives you the right to, to, uh, to be moving forward and with God, and, and uh, it's, it's just a lie, it's a lie that the enemy whispers, but it'll whisper it in everybody's ear, and sometimes it's not a whisper, mm-hmm. but, um, but, you know, it's been just an absolute blessing to have this child uh, in our home, and, and to raise her in a, in a way that that that's different doesn't mean that you know I, I don't I, I love my other children um, I've got a, a daughter and a, and 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 my son and I love them just as much as the day they were born but but it's pretty special to be um, just to be uh, a part of this child's life and she's really really good kid. Yeah, I'm a big uh, believer in like the more that you try to do well and to do good things the more you're challenged yeah the more obstacles are presented your way and uh do you sort of feel like that do you sort of feel like you're constantly facing challenges that are trying to disrupt your faith and and your walk i mean is that are you playing a spirit not playing it's the wrong word are you uh are you engaged in sort of a daily spiritual battle from your perspective yeah absolutely and um the the enemy if if you're moving forward and you're doing the lord's work you're going to have a target on your back and and satan's going to be all over that he's not uh, he can't be everywhere at the same time but um but he he does have an army below him and and he assigns uh, the demonic to to attack folks and and uh i you know, I I experienced that a lot. And Joshua, one, once one nine, I think, uh, where God says, um, "Be strong and courageous, and do not be discouraged, because I will be with you." And it's God's promise that He's always with us. But uh, the the strong and courageous part, that you know, that's something that I'm not a, a stranger to. But he, it was really <laughs> important, I think, as I read that, to, the part about don't be discouraged because that's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants to discourage us and uh, either whisper those lies that um, we're not worthy to go forward or um, whatever it might be that, you know, that you don't have a voice. Nobody's going to listen to you. You know, what you're doing is ridiculous. You know, this is, you know, why are you doing this? And and that's the discouraging part. And I think that's the way the enemy attacks most of us is, is wants to hold us back by having ourselves hold us back. And uh, there's, there's scripture about Jesus sending the disciples out on a boat, and he sends them out into a storm. And... Uh, then they see Jesus walking on the water, coming at him in the storm. And Peter, one of the disciples, jumps out of the boat, and and he's and he's able to walk on water. And he he's looking at Jesus, and most of the, all the other disciples are not getting out of the boat, but this one is. And and as he's walking towards uh, Jesus, 
said that he looks to, at the wind because the storm was still going on, and he looked at the wind, and that's when he sank, and he sinks into the water, and Jesus picks him up. And Jesus didn't say, hey, um, great job jumping out of the boat. You know, the, those first few steps, that was awesome. You shouldn't have done that thing at the end. You know, Jesus says, hey, you have little faith, you know, and and, and reaches out and kind of rebukes him. And, and um, you know, that's, for me, that's been what's happening. <laughs> So to start a nonprofit, when we went national, it was this year, um, at the start of this year, it was during the pandemic, it was during the anti-police sentiment that, that you know, has, has been in the media. It was absolutely, uh, I don't think anybody would start a, a nonprofit for first responders during this year, but it was because God said, here, no, you're going to do this. So I just kept my eyes on the Lord, and, and then in the midst of that, there's a cancer battle. You know, and so that's more of the storm, and that's more of the waves. But, uh, but I didn't pay attention to that. I just kept my eyes on Jesus and said, you know, I'm here. I'm doing what you want me to do, and 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 He blesses that. And um, and so it's just been an amazing. It's been an amazing time just to to realize that when we keep our eye on God, you know, everything's going to be okay, and it's going to be better than okay. He's gonna He's gonna do with us. Uh, bigger things than we could ever imagine and and so that's been my experience and when you ask you know how are things now you know that's that's how things are, are right now it doesn't mean I'm not walking through a storm or having to deal with things but uh, but it's been amazing it's just amazing to see God's love and grace and power and strength and and just all the things that he has. The enemy takes bigger hits at me too you know he wants to you know cancer I don't think God you know, is the author of cancer. I think that's the enemy trying to take me out. But um, so it's you know it it is a battle uh, going into all the different areas that we're going into. There's there's a spiritual battle in that alone. You know, there's there's um, there's demons, powers, and principalities. And principalities are they're like the 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 arc, they're they're the fallen archangels that um, that are out there dealing with uh, regions and and uh, you know that's that's what you see in some of these places that that uh, God's been using our program and taking them in because you can see the darkness when you go into Minneapolis. You know there's a lot of darkness coming out of that because of what happened in the George Floyd incident. Um, but God, but God wins. You know we're we're on the the winning side and and you just have to have that 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 courage to step in and and um, you know just just love on somebody and. And uh, love on a community and, and prayer. Prayer is a big deal. It's, it's a super big deal. When we pray, God's given us um, authority over Satan, all of his works. And, and, and you know, when we're in a difficult place, it's, it's really important to be in prayer. And, and, um, and you're just going to see such amazing, amazing things come out of it. So it's, it's been powerful. Well, Sergeant McGrew, uh, it's been my pleasure. It's always fun to talk to you. Um, you know, we've known each other a long time, and yeah. you know, you've had lots of times and even mad at me <laughs> for coverage. No, no, and, and yeah, and you too. <laughs> <laughs> and I have lots of times when I get called into my boss's office because yeah. you know something yeah. I wrote. <laughs> so, no, 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 no. But, no I've I've always respected you, Joss, and, and it's such a pleasure to just even call you friend and brother. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. I feel the same, and I really appreciate you taking the time. One more time, why don't you just tell us the name of the nonprofit you started and how people can reach you if they want to. 
yeah, uh, it's 911 at Ease International, and the website is 911aei.org. And if you go to that website, look on the first page of the video. It's really, uh, watch that video. It's only eight minutes long, but it'll really, uh, it shows you what our program's doing right now. It's pretty powerful. Okay. Sergeant McGrew, thanks again. Uh, good luck to everything, and I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Absolutely. Thanks, Josh. Thank you.